Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Thursday, September 3rd, 2020, because Drew and I are trying to knock one out early so we can then go off and have a long and restful Labor Day weekend. That is the plan, right, Drew? Yeah, are you going to follow through on that plan, or are you, do you have a million things that you have to do? Well, I do have to get a, a new universal joint done. But after oh, that, geez. in oh, theory. What, what are you going to talk about? The, the hotels are still closed? Come on. <laughs> well, you, see, that's the thing. We haven't done a show in about at least six weeks. Sounds like a gay romp, Jim. That's oh, how you yes, want to s- spend yes, your uh, so. weekend. Yeah. Well, not, not, <laughs> now, speaking, speaking of a gay romp, you actually have seen the live action Mulan at this point. Yes, I have. Are you going to are you going to pluck down 30 bucks or are you going to wait until December, Jim? Again, you're anticipating my next question because first <laughs> I'm going to ask you about the movie, but let's let's jump to that one. How do you feel about that? Was that a smart move on Disney's part or It was actually some kind of legal requirement. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it was exactly, but it yeah, they had to kind of like come clean about when it was coming onto the mm-hmm. service. I think they had to because they were selling it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they, they sort of had to let the cat out of the bag early. I still think that it's going to do well. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in California, we're expecting like 107 degree weather all weekend. Mm-hmm. So people are yep. not going to be going out. And I feel like that is a, I mean, they shouldn't be going out anyway, but that's another great incentive to stay in and watch Mulan and sort mm-hmm. of get swept up in it. But that said, you know, I was I was going to buy it, and then I saw that, that date, and I said, you know what? I can wait another really? few months. De- December okay. will be here soon enough. Yeah, well, I mean, I've already no, seen no, it. No. It's fine, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess in this year where time really doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah, Dece- I'm going to turn around, and December's going to be here in it, five It minutes. is. It's gonna, yeah, it's going to be there. I mean, time already works that way. It really works that way now, and everything's blurring together. But Getting back to Milan, please tell me it's not terrible. Uh, it's not terrible. It's actually quite good. It's um, oh. beautifully photographed. You know, it's mm-hmm. actual locations, something mm-hmm. that... Most of the Disney remakes have uh, have kind of sidestepped for a lot of set work, but this time mm-hmm. they actually went out to China and New Zealand and shot it. It's mm-hmm. very emotional. Yeah, I think it works really, really well. There's some sort of editorial things that I wasn't crazy about and just some stuff that was maybe a little bit unclear, but it's, uh, it's really, really great. I have a piece coming out probably on Monday about all the differences between the animated movie and the live-action movie. Which was mm-hmm. fun to write, so I will we'll talk about that on the next show, I'm sure. But cool. yeah, I think you're gonna like it a lot. It's definitely it might be the best live action remake, which I know we're gonna get into later in the show. But yeah, yeah. it's really really good. Okay, well no, that that's great to hear. And I, by the way, I'm kind of leaning toward paying the premium price, you know, giving them the the twenty nine whatever. Because if you work the math, a movie ticket these days, if you factor in. What it would cost for Nancy and I to go to the movies, to the concession stand, and get our overpriced soda and our overpriced popcorn. We would have spent $29 anyway, so oh, yeah. Yeah, we could you know, we could sit in the comfort of our home and, and watch what you've just described as what sounds like a good movie. So Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're going to like it a lot. Speaking of good movies, though, I had not gotten around to watching the one and only Ivan yet. Nancy and I did that just last night. And, I mean, it's not a blockbuster by any stretch of the imagination. It's a very modest film. At one point, 
Nancy turned to me while watching this, and it's just sort of like, I'm just realizing these are animated live, it's, you know, supposed to be live action animals, and they, they were that good yeah. that, you know, it's it just sort of like, holy cow. Did you get to see the film, by the way? Yeah, or? yeah, I reviewed it uh, for Collider. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was, mm-hmm. and I loved the fact that it had this really interesting message about the animals and how they wanted to escape and stuff, mm-hmm. but it was sort of more complicated than that. And, yeah. And I yeah. love that, and, th- and they made the movie in the spirit of not wanting to harm animals either, which I loved that all the animals mm-hmm. are computer generated. And I know that mm-hmm. PETA has gotten behind it and you know, I'm a big animal guy. So I was oh, really, I really loved that aspect of it, that these animals, they didn't like, you know, pressure an elephant into actually doing anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just this amazing animation by the guys that did, you know, Lion King and, and Jungle Book. And yeah. it's just wonderful. Yeah, I have to admit, when I was watching it, it was one of these things where, especially given Ruby, the, the baby elephant character, was I was wondering actually how much of what they learned with the rig that they used for Dumbo. Right, exactly, Dumbo that. they did too, yeah. When I interviewed Danny DeVito, he said, oh yeah, you know, I'm working with those MPC guys again, I'm a dog in this upcoming <laughs> movie, you know, so... <laughs> That was that was Danny DeVito last March talking about uh, Dumbo and the one and only Ivan. So that's great. It's surprisingly good, Danny DeVito. There. Uh, thank you. Thank you. But again, I, but again, it's just it's charming. It's low key. But on the other hand, something that is decidedly not low key, primal. This new world of animation release dates. So what we're getting starting on what is it, October fourth? Is that isn't season two, it's actually the second half of season one? Yes, this is the back half of season one. I guess there were always supposed to be ten. I didn't really get any kind of indication of that when when the first five finished airing. Yeah. I thought that was just it. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean I need to send you I did a like hour long talk with Gendy Gennady recently. Um that okay. I don't know if you watched, but yeah, he he said there's gonna be more and then today we got it confirmed that it's coming back for season two. Yeah, so, yeah. twenty twenty one is going to have a lot of severed dinosaur heads. <laughs> I think when the first half of season one ended with Rage of the Ape Man, like the last thirty seconds of that, Fang, the female Tyrannosaurus companion of Spear, the caveman, I would bet good money that that dinosaur was not getting up. Yes. It was a real cliffhanger, Jim. That's for sure. But at the same time, did an episode, episode six, actually air back on, on April Fool's Day? Plague of Madness? It did. I didn't see it, but he uh, he told me that it aired then, and I had no idea. And I was very upset, Jim, that to know that I yeah, didn't watch it. No. <laughs> well, well, so am I. You know, because again, I, I was left hanging. You know, this yeah. this female, you know, Fang, a character I'd come to care about in this impossibly bloody, violent show, was on the mat and not moving. And it would have nice to know back in April if the, you know, he was, you know, back up and moving again. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure she's okay. Okay, all right, yes. but it's not just us who, who enjoy Primal. He picked up three Primetime Emmys? Yeah, like Special Achievement Emmys, yeah, pretty awesome. Go Primal. It's, it's amazing animation, wonderful design, 
This show is violent as hell, all right? There's a reason that it runs at 11.30 on Sunday night where they hope every child is in bed and the door is locked so they can't come out for this thing. Right. I just want toys this season, Jim. That's all I want. I want a, li- I want a little fang on my desk. That's all I want. I can get behind <laughs> that idea. But again, the, anime, the world of animation, it does get complicated. Let's talk about what just happened in regard to the release date of Sony's Connected, which, by the way, you, you've said so many nice things about in, in yes. the past, you know, that this is on a lot of people's radar because of how, how enthusiastic you are. But what do you think about this film suddenly sharing a release date with Glenn Keane's Over the Moon? Well, if I were a betting man, Jim, I don't know if Connected is going to make that October 23rd date. Because if you look at some of the more recent promotional materials, the, mm-hmm. there is no date on it. It just says coming soon. And mm-hmm. I know that they're they're finishing mixing this week um, at Sony. But I don't know. I honestly don't know if it's going to happen. I'm very skeptical. So... I don't think it would go the the paid VOD route. I think it would probably just get bumped. But as you and I have talked about, you know, next year is already filling up so mm-hmm. fast. And yeah. a lot of the prime dates for animated movies are already taken. So mm-hmm. I don't know what is going to happen. But I, w- I did like that new Over the Moon clip. I don't, did you watch the, like, little music video type thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we were talking on the end of the last uh, episode about how now with John Karras co-directing it with Glenn. I mean, again, it's it's a project I'm getting more and more excited about. Conversely, did you see that 11,000 people have signed the Change.org petition for Warner Brothers and HBO to not bring back Ren and Stimpy? No, but I'll I'll sign that petition. Sure. Well, I am genuinely torn about this because face it, HBO Max has just done you know that wonderful Looney Tunes redo where here are these guys who've working so hard to replicate the look and the feel of the shorts of the '40s, and when Ren and Stimpy debuted in in the early '90s, it was revolutionary. And this past weekend, I finally gave in and watched the Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the, the Ren and Stimpy story, the documentary that Ron Cicero has directed. And I know how you feel about the, the show, Drew. I, I still think the documentary is worth watching because they really do a nice job of talking about how complicated the situation is. And, and right. the first version of the documentary was done. And then the BuzzFeed article came out. And only then would John Crick Falusi agree to be part of the documentary. Interesting. So he's in it, and it's very strange because he's he's not necessarily apologetic, but he's trying to apologize. And I, I mean, you come away from this documentary with a renewed appreciation for the show. You just also get a sense that John Crick Falusi is this incredibly damaged guy. Never mind about the underage girls that you know he abused. You, you get a real sense of, of how the staff who actually made the show suffered under John, who clearly has some severe emotional issues. Right. And to jeopardize people's jobs like that, too. Even, even if it was just, you know, him not 
turning things in on time. I mean, you have dozens oh. of people working for you who are then, you know, potentially out of work or whatever. So, yeah, not a great situation. No, 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 not at all. But they are so forthright about that. And, you know, they, they talk especially as they get into season two of the, the series. And I, I guess they'd only done like six episodes for the first season. And, you know, they were this smash hit. And so it's okay. Let's do 20 episodes for season two. And it's like it took everything we could do to finish six episodes for season one. And it just just to watch it, it this slow motion spin in where he's trying to do the same level of quality. He's trying to do the same level of outrageousness. He's trying to sneak the same sort of adult gags past you know, Nickelodeon. It's this film... That makes me hope someday we'll also get the John Lasseter story done in in much the same style. Recognizing what the guy actually accomplished, but at the same time, what was also going on behind the scenes to kind of color things. So Yeah, I will. I will watch it. I will watch it. Good, 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 good. Okay. All right. And anyway, folks, we were talking just a, a moment ago about the new live action Mulan. And when we get back from this break, we're going to take the 30,000-foot view of Disney and its series now of hugely successful live-action redos of its classic animated features. Before we get into the live-action redos of Disney's animated classics, we really should pause here for a moment and acknowledge the passing of Sue Nichols. Longtime story artist at Disney. She was such a huge part of the second golden age of Disney animation. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Hunchback, Hercules. And in fact, she also worked on the original Milan back in 98 or thereabouts. And yeah. also she was with Brenda Chapman and worked on Brave. She worked on Muppet Babies back in the day. She worked on Cranium yeah. Command, my favorite yeah. subject. <laughs> Coming on the heels of losing Chadwick Boseman last week to colon cancer and to now lose Sue to cancer, folks, if you, you have any money to throw at the American Cancer Society, could you do Drew and I a favor and do it? It's just, I'm getting tired of losing people like this, especially in today's world. We need people who can entertain us and inform us more than ever. The fact that we haven't cured this yet is, is is maddening. So anyway, after that doubter of a note, Drew, you of all people on the planet have a much better insight into the whole Disney live action version of animated features thing, given that <laughs> you actually got to sit down with Sean Bailey at Disney, the gentleman who kind of at the studio who writes wrote heard on these things, right? Or? Yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty amazing uh, experience because he, you know, he is the head of, of you know the Motion Picture Association at, at Disney, and mm-hmm. he's the one putting all these movies in development. And you know, mm-hmm. to sit there for an hour with him in his office and just you mm-hmm. know talk about these movies, and he has a shot from every one of the movies he's produced on his wall that the filmmaker mm-hmm. picks out. Mm-hmm. And the only filmmaker that disagreed with that, Jim, is our little man that we like to know and love as Brad Bird. And Brad Bird <laughs> made him put up three images. He told him exactly how to space the images, which images they would be, and where it should go on his wall. So 
you know, if you know Brad and his commitment to perfectionism, and so I thought, I thought you would appreciate that. Just this past weekend on the Essentials at TCM, they played North by Northwest, and to listen to Brad Bird talk about Alfred Hitchcock, it's a film geek's dream. I mean, he had so so many great insights into the Hitchcock as a filmmaker, coupled with some wonderful behind-the-scenes stories, and and really had some great insights on, into North by Northwest, which I, I was surprised. That one was made at MGM. I thought Hitchcock, particularly for the latter part of his career, he used Universal as his home base, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, Universal was the, I mean, the Universal ones are really the ones that most people remember. That was, you know, Rear Window, and Vertigo, Psycho, yeah. up mm-hmm. to Topaz and um, Frenzy. So, you mm-hmm. know, all those were all Universal, but yeah. I think he also had the show at Universal, so yeah. That's um, right. That's right. But yeah, he okay. did a lot of you know he did a lot of uh, things for other people. So yeah, I need to I need to watch that. I haven't I haven't watched all of Brad's essentials, so I gotta watch that. Initially, I was cheating, and I'd record them, and then I just watch what Brad said at the beginning of the end. And but he did such a good job, for example, with the Searchers, that I had to actually sit down and watch the, this entire John Ford movie again. <laughs> Brad's doing his job. He's working his magic, yeah. He's working his magic. Speaking of doing his job, now, how did Sean describe the start of this? Because I have trouble figuring out when exactly this got going. I don't have a date exactly, but you know that, I mean, you and I obviously are old enough to remember that they were sort of doing this in the 90s, mm. too, with the Jungle Book that Stephen Summers did, which I think is excellent. I love that movie. Okay. Um, okay. And yeah. the 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians, and there was a lot of stuff around there. That is an excellent point. I really hadn't factored those in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those were great. But on the other hand, the new wave of these, would you track the start of these back to, say, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland in 2010 or. Yes, that is the moment, at least in my piece, mm-hmm. I, that's how I hypothesize it as being Burton comes back to mm-hmm. Disney and this is the first one that he does and it's mm-hmm. a huge hit. I mean, mm-hmm. you can talk about the reasons why it's a huge hit. There was obviously um, the 3D aspect of it played into yeah. it in a big yep. in a big way. But it, I think it's a pretty fun movie. So, I mean, I understand mm-hmm. why they were trying to do it. And then, you know, from there we got everything else that mm-hmm. followed. So that's March of 2010, and this generation of the, the remakes, and, and again, thank you for pointing out the the, the Jungle Book, the Stephen Summers, and, and likewise, the, the it was John Hughes who helped get those. John Hughes wrote, yeah, 101, I think yeah. Wes Mayfield maybe directed it, or he directed, I know he then, directed Flubber, go. yeah, yeah. Okay, so we don't get the Cinderella that Kenneth Branagh directed till March of 2015, I mean, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff that Disney does in the period in between there that, you know, sort of looks like they're kicking the tires, so to speak, for things. I mean, we've got The Sorcerer's Apprentice with John Turtletop and, and Nicolas Cage, which, <laughs> terrible movie, right? There's, terrible movie. What you, and it was so funny. I was sitting next to a guy that was a location scout for that yep. movie in New York, and he said, oh, there's my scene. And it was like... You know, it was gone in an instant, and this poor guy had like labored over finding whatever it was. Uh, you know, uh, it was it was tragic. But what are you gonna do? Okay, but if you go from 
Alice in Wonderland, do we then mar- jump to March of 2013 where we do Oz the Great and Powerful, directed by Sam Raimi, not based on a Disney film, and really kind of Sam directed it, or Art directed it, you know, so it was sort of a spiritual sequel to the 39 film. Do you think that factored in at all to, you know... Yeah, I mean, I think it was part of this whole milieu of, like, high-concept, fantasy-based stuff that okay. was going on at the time. But I don't, I don't know what the what the intention of what was with that movie, because I don't know if they were trying to... That was supposed to start a, a franchise or what. Mm-hmm. I think they just wanted people to forget about Return to Oz. I think that's that was the main goal. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Okay, so we we get live-action Cinderella, March of 2015. Studio spends like $100 million on it. It it makes over $500 million worldwide. And from this point forward, we basically get at least one of these a year. And in 2019, we got three. Yeah. What was the thinking there? Was it, you know, for a, a certain amount of time, these films were the sort of film we put out in March... Jungle Book slid to April, and then Aladdin slid to May. But it seemed like, okay, this is what we're going to do with this chunk of the schedule for this time of year. Did he ever talk about anything like that, or no? I don't. I don't think there was anything. I think what you know, one of the interesting things that he said was that Mm -hmm. a lot of these are you know sort of intellectual property that anybody can make a movie of, and that Mm -hmm. when they were making the Jungle Book, they made a Mm -hmm. conscious decision to put songs in because mm-hmm. at one point there was that other jungle book, which I don't know if you ever saw Mowgli. Oh yes. It's on, it's on Netflix. Flicks. It's, it's Andy really, Serkis, is that- yeah, yeah. It's okay. very, it's very bleak, but okay. they knew that that movie was coming. And so what they, they decided midway through production and jungle book, they were going to have so- the songs put back in it. And so mm-hmm. I think that they, on that movie, which, you know, you note, grossed almost a billion dollars worldwide and was obviously a very successful movie critically as well Hmm. that they could lean into the Disney of it a little bit more because you're right. You know, they had Maleficent in 2014, which Mm -hmm. was kind of, you know, was sort of a sleeping beauty thing, but Hmm. sort of not. And, you know, that was something that they wanted Tim Burton for as well. And they ended up just getting the production designer from Alice in Wonderland and Oz the Great and Powerful to direct it. And we all know how that Robert Stromberg. Yeah. 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 Not a great fit, but, you know, it was something that that they learned from, I guess, and they leaned into the Disney a little bit more. If you look at uh, the directors that Bailey, you know, lined up for the – it is this rogues gallery of heavy hitters. I mean, we, we Bill Condon, you know, Tim Burton, Guy Ritchie, and, of course, you know, John Favreau. Mm-hmm. And getting, you know, Kenneth Branagh to sort of step up and start the whole thing off with Cinderella – was that one of the conceits going in that you marry a Disney animated property to a, a really strong director who has good visual sense? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, if you read that article, it was I think it was out in 2017, so it was before they even announced that Guy Ritchie was doing Aladdin. But he said, you know, this is like the perfect Guy Ritchie movie. You know, it's a story mm-hmm. of a kid from the streets, which is what all of his movies are about, and there's some mm-hmm. you know tough guys and all this stuff, and so. He seemed very aware of not giving these properties to somebody that wouldn't do something interesting with them. So, yeah, I think that was a a huge part of it. And, 
you know, I think that you obviously after Maleficent, you saw like less kind of younger, more unknown filmmakers taking on these properties. Mm. Okay. So through no cause of anybody's fault. I mean, COVID is COVID. But we had Lady and the Tramp come out with the launch of Disney Plus. Was that ever intended for theatrical release, or that was uh, no, you know, that was something? always that was always a Disney Plus. They wanted a big, splashy Disney movie to come out on okay. on Disney Plus, and I I liked the Lady and the Tramp. I didn't think it was super memorable, but you know, no, I liked no, the Tramp's I mean, backstory, and I liked some of the mm-hmm. other elements. You know, I thought it was nice. No, no, it was fine. But now, again, we, we've got Mulan debuting on Disney Plus this weekend. This is still an ongoing thing at Disney. I mean, take, for example, you know, The Little Mermaid. Production was put on pause in March again because of the coronavirus. So you had some news about that film, uh, what, you found on Twitter just today? or? Oh, I, yeah, I mean, it was up a couple weeks ago. But Jacob Tremblay has started uh, recording his dialogue as Flounder, mm-hmm. probably because they're worried that his voice is going to change. So... <laughs> There was a very dramatic shot of a little kid in a chair in the middle of a room in front of a microphone. You know, it's how the magic happens, Jim. Well, wasn't it Wooly Reitherman who had to replace one son with another because, the, you know, was it Jungle Book they were recording? And the, I think so, the kid, yeah. The kid went through puberty. But yeah, we have a bunch of stuff that's in theory still coming. We have that Sword in the Stone remake that I, I guess was initially announced back in January of of 2018 with a script by Game of Thrones' Brian Cogman. We have the live-action Lilo and Stitch, which Dean Dubois, not a fan of. No. (laughs) But yeah, announced in 2018, the gentleman who wrote the script for Aladdin did the, uh, the live-action Aladdin did the first pass on that. And I guess as of February, this is now headed to Disney Plus with a script that's being done by Mike Van Wez. And then we had the Robin Hood, which, again, based on the 73 animated feature, evidently Carrie Grandland, who wrote the script for The Lady and the Tramp Redo, is handling the screenplay for that one. And you had some news about the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs Redo, right? Oh, yeah. I've heard that that's going to be in production by the end of the year. So that, that one's being directed by Mark Webb, who did The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why they chose him, but I'm sure Sean okay. Bailey has a good... Uh, Good okay. excuse for that one. And at the same time, we have, I guess, the Pinocchio with Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks is picking up steam. And Hercules by the Russo brothers who did Endgame there we and go. Infinity there we go. War. And so that'll be big. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, oh, uh, please talk about uh, Peter and Wendy because that one, I forgot about that. And, and that would be in production right now, right? Or? Yeah, that is going to be written and directed by the great David Lowry, who did mm-hmm. Pete's Dragon, which you have on your sort of tangential list of remakes. But I think I do. Is, is, that's one of my favorite Disney movies, period, of the past few years. I just think it's so great. I, it has it has some great stuff. It really yeah. does. And they, they've got, you know, it's looking like Jude Law is going to be Captain Hook in that one, which is super fun. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, there's the Black Cauldron remake that Disney reacquired the rights in 2016 with the intention. I'm not. <laughs> Wrap my head around that, Jim. As somebody who just spent uh, way too much time in Black Cauldronville, I, I can't, I can't believe it either. <laughs> we also have that that night on Bald Mountain, which I don't know 
where that fits in with the whole Sorcerer's Apprentice thing, the Nick Cage thing. And and we have to mention friend of the show, Josh Gad, and his hunchback. Yes. And which, also Bambi. Bambi is coming yes, out. Yes. Yes. So that's a lot of stuff coming, but again. It's a lot of stuff, but here's the thing. we, You know, I think that, like you pointed out, that some of these are kind of earmarked for Disney Plus Summer Theatrical. I, I think that is just totally going to go out the window i think it's going to be very as we've seen this year jim as mm-hmm. we have watched the one and only ivan which was previously scheduled for theatrical release and mulan on, on disney plus you know that there's going to be a lot more flexibility there in terms of what goes where and you know what movie is a theatrical movie which versus what movie is a vod movie so mm. i you know i think there's going to be some latitude there i don't know if these are actually going to stick at the end of the day but okay. you know we'll see Okay. That's certainly an acute observation these days, or an astute observation these days. Oh, before I forget, before we go off for our our wonderful long Labor Day weekend, we have, of course, prepped some new Light the Fuse stuff, right? Oh, Jim, Light the Fuse is a runaway train or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Whatever. Insert your your Mission Impossible analogy there. Uh, Um, Yeah, we've got got new episodes. Going through the the channel, right? The channel, yes. Yes. With the helicopter behind us. Yeah. There we Um, go. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah, we got brand new episodes. We just recorded a couple of episodes with David Kep, who Mm -hmm. is one of the most profitable and one of the best screenwriters working in Hollywood today. There's nothing like looking at the jacket for his novel, Hmm. and it says, combined, his films have brought in $9 billion worldwide. Something to think about, Jim, uh, as I'm I'm checking the couch cushions for quarters. (laughs) So (laughs) we we talked to him, which is great. He he rewrote the first Mission Impossible and uh, he is really, really funny and really was very, very generous with his time. So that's going to be fun. And we've got a whole bunch of fun stuff coming out, Jim. But don't worry. It's all coming. Okay. It's always so much fun. to. And again, you know, in a weird sort of way, you're kind of also a bread burden that I learned so much about the industry from the people you bring on the show. I mean, they come with great stories about Mission Impossible, but they've all worked on so many other fascinating projects with so many other different studios and I, I love how you get them to also talk about that while they're talking oh about yeah the- some somebody wrote us and, and said i'm going to mission impossible film school i'm learning th- <laughs> about every aspect of filmmaking through the lens of mission impossible and your podcast which made me feel very good but also very silly but i'm, I'm glad people like it and that that's great seriously folks if you're not listening you're missing out on some amazing stuff and we have some, some good stuff here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast as well. Uh, Len and I just did a brand new Disney dish today. Also did a, just did a new Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. Going to knock out a new Universal joint. And soon, uh, Michelle is on the mend. I uh, hope to have a new I Want That. If you're looking for us, you head to Twitter and Instagram. We're at Jim Hill Media and Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Have a, a great weekend. And Drew and I will be back soon.